One of my favorite things, it's a bittersweet thing when you're preaching, but one of my favorite things is to watch the people of God like genuinely engaging in conversation and not just like sitting isolated waiting for someone to come up and talk to them for, in my case, two or three hours. But um, <clears throat> stoked to be here with you guys this morning. Um, if we haven't met yet, my name is Tom. I have the privilege of providing uh, leadership here to the church plant as the lead pastor along with my wife, Ebony, on eldership with Herrick and Heather. Uh, two gifts from heaven, the Burgas. Yes, give it up for the Burgas. Um, but yeah, guys, we are currently in the middle of a series we've been calling Jesus Is. Um, and we've been going through the Gospel of John. It's been rich, it's been amazing, um, it's been beautiful. Uh, I think we've been like 13 or 14 weeks through John already. Um, it's been wonderful. But one of the things that we really desire as a church, like we really desperately want to be a church that follows God's leading at all times. Um, if you guys are familiar with the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, you have the people of God, and they're in the desert, they're in the wilderness, and, and God, he manifests himself as this cloud. And he's basically, he's basically uh, as the cloud, he's guiding the people of, of God through um, the desert. He's guiding them, right? And so what would happen is, is the cloud would move, and the people of God would pack up their stuff and they'd get everything together and they'd follow the cloud. And the cloud would hover someplace and they'd go, okay, we set up camp here, we're gonna be here. And then the cloud would move and the people of God would move and the cloud would move and the people of God would move and it was this beautiful picture of the people of God following God in the cloud, right? We wanna be a people, us, Restored Church in Temecula, California, we wanna be a people who follow the cloud. We wanna follow what God is doing. And one of the things that's come up recently um, I hate to use the word overwhelming because it's not overwhelming, but just the sheer volume of it recently. Um, so many of you have reached out and had questions or wanted counsel or wanting guidance on something very specific. You've, you've wanted guidance on finances. And it's been kind of laughable because it got to the point where someone's like, hey, can I chat with you about something? I'm like, is it about money? And they're like, how did you know? I'm like, it's been kind of nutty lately how many people have... Um, come for that. Questions about budgeting, questions about tithing, questions about generosity, questions about savings, like all different things, all relating to finance. And here's the thing, guys, like as a pastor, when something happens at that much volume, it causes you to kind of take notice. And you're like, okay, God, what's happening? What are you doing here? Something is happening. So Herrick and I were praying on it, and honestly, we're convinced that God is leading us to pause this series in John just for a moment. So for the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to do a really short series on following Jesus with finances. And throughout this series, just to kind of give you the heads up, we're going to get really practical, okay? We're going to cover, we're going to cover things like why and how to give to those in need. We're going to cover, we're going to cover uh, why and how to enjoy money as the blessing that it can be. We're going to talk about why and how to invest in advancing God's kingdom. We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff, okay? But here, listen to me say this. The primary focus of this series is not going to be on money specifically. The primary focus of this series is going to be on King Jesus. It's going to be on him. We gather to worship him. Friends, he is the most beautiful, the most glorious, the most amazing person ever. He's the reason we're alive. He's the greatest source of pleasure in the entire universe. He is our greatest treasure. So hear me say this. The, the series, we're going to talk about money, but it's not primarily going to be about money. It's primarily going to be about Jesus. 
Okay? Uh, if you've been journeying with us for any length of time, we are passionate about a biblical theology that the church is not an event, it's not a building, it's not an organization, it's not a business. The church is the people, it's the family of God. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, he reconciled us to God. That means we have to relate to him as God, as, God, as like his Father, as our Heavenly Father, and it means that we relate to each other as brothers and sisters. This is beautiful truth. We believe that the, the, the church is the people. It's a family, right? So listen, restore church. If this is your home, like you belong to Jesus, this church is his bride. It is a privilege to be able to serve and love and walk alongside you, but this church belongs to him. It's his bride. And my desire, Herrick's desire, is to honor you and to serve you as a pastor, as a shepherd, as someone who comes alongside to care for you, okay? And what my desire is, is I want to be led by the Spirit of God on how to specifically do that, friends. I want to follow the cloud, okay? So I really believe, I was praying about this a ton this week. Uh, it was actually interesting because I feel like God dropped it on me like a few days ago. So I spent like just days woodshedding and reading and prepping and God sometimes throws wrenches into our plans for his plans and it can kind of be hectic, but... Um, in my prayer time this week, I really do believe, guys, guys, that God wants to, like, guide us. I believe he wants to guide us. I believe he wants to bless each one of us when it comes to finances. So, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we're going to jump into this, se- this series. We're calling this series uh, Treasure, Following Jesus with Your Finances. And uh, those of you guys, most of you guys know this, we're a church plant. Okay, we are in such an exciting, amazing season as a church. It's so, I mean, new life is beautiful. Every parent in the room you know, you hold your baby for the first time, you're like, this thing's alive and they let me take it home, this is crazy. But like, we as a church plant, we're an infant. Like, we're still forming, we're still like getting our legs underneath us. We're not really even quite crawling yet, we're not even really quite walking yet. We're in this beautiful season as an infant, right? But hear me say this, our mission today as an infant is the same as it will be 20 years from now. Our mission is to make disciples of Jesus. Our mission is to make followers of Jesus. That's why the church exists, okay? We exist to help each other and those around us, whether they're Christians or not, grow as disciples of Jesus, helping them to follow Jesus, all of us, okay? Uh, We've latched on to a definition of what it means to be a disciple that you're going to hear me talk about pretty much every week when we gather together on Sundays and when our gospel communities are gathering throughout the week. A disciple is someone who's learning to enjoy, obey, and operate like Jesus in every single area of their life. A disciple is someone who's following Jesus. And here's the thing. Jesus talked about money in the scriptures a lot. I think money tends to make people feel really uncomfortable. I'm not totally sure why. I can think of a couple different ways about how it's made me feel uncomfortable in the past, but Jesus and his boldness and his love, he talks about money a ton. I read this stat this week, guys. Did you know this? 15% of everything that Jesus said in the scriptures relates to money and wealth. That's crazy. That's a lot. I would have never guessed that. 15% of everything that he said, that's more than his teachings on heaven and hell combined. That means money's probably something that's really important to Jesus. Now, before we jump in, I want to tell you this. Like, listen, money's not bad. I think oftentimes people tend to demonize anything that there's temptation with. Oh, just get rid of it. Just get rid of it. 
Money's not a bad thing, okay? It can be a tremendous blessing from God. Uh, one of the most misquoted verses in all of the Bible is that money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible actually says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Okay, so it's not money that's the issue. It's the love of money that's the problem, okay? It's when you elevate money too high that's the issue. You tracking with me? Okay. Jesus talks about this in, in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. If money is elevated to a place it doesn't belong, it becomes really dangerous, actually. Really dangerous. So before we jump in, I want to just clearly state what the goal of this series is going to be. The goal of this series is that we would follow Jesus with our lives, not money. We would trust in Jesus with our lives and not money. Okay, and here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that if we follow Jesus with our finances, the outcome of that will be a peace and a security and a joy that money can never give us. Because true peace, true security, and true joy is only found in Jesus, my friends. So, if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. I typically preach out of the ESV translation. That's the English Standard Version. So I'll be in that today. Although I kind of, I'll grab a couple different um, verses later on that'll be out of the ESV. But go ahead and flip to Matthew chapter 6. And while you're flipping there, I'm going to pray for us, okay? Will you join me in prayer? Father, we are grateful for your goodness to us. Grateful for your grace and your mercy that covers us. Uh, I feel led to pray for people who've had a difficult morning. Uh, I pray just peace over the room that we'd actually be able to glean from the truths of your scriptures and spirit of God that you would really manifest yourself amongst us that we would have an encounter even with you today as we talk about something like money, that we would encounter you in this. And Father, my desire is to honor these precious people, to serve them, so I pray that if there's anything that I say or do um, that isn't in alignment with what you are trying to accomplish, I pray that you'd like either, I don't know, get it out of my mind, out of my mouth, or that no one would actually, actually process it if I say it. So just guard my mouth. Guard my mind. I really want my words to be your words. I want to honor you. I want to honor and serve these precious people. So be with us, God, and encourage us and guide us. And I pray that you, at the end of this, we really would have so much peace and joy and security. In your holy and beautiful name, Jesus, amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter six, we're gonna start in verse 19, okay? Verse 19. This is the words of Jesus. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's it. That's all we're doing today. This comes out of the greatest sermon in the history of the world. Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Okay, this is the pinnacle of every sermon ever preached. This, this Sermon on the Mount 
preached makes any preach I've ever done seem like just terrible. Jesus is the, the God in the flesh and he's speaking to people. The, the, like, there's, no, there's no like watered down truth to him. It's just clear. That's the sermon that this is coming out of, the words of King Jesus. And this specific passage, we're gonna come back to this passage throughout this series, okay? <clears throat> but today... I'm going to focus in on three things, okay? So if you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. There's uh, the note thing in the app if you want to use sermon notes that way. Three things we're going to talk about today. The first is this. We're going to talk about the connection between money and worship. We're going to talk about the freedom of stewardship, and we're going to talk about how to steward, okay? We're going to get really practical there at the end. So the first thing, again, the connection between money and worship, the freedom of stewardship, and then we're going to get practical and talk about how to steward, okay? So let's jump in. The connection between money and worship. Now, when this passage talks about treasures, what is it really referring to? Okay, because the last thing I want to do is get up here and try to manipulate people in any way, shape, or form. What does it talk about when he's talking about treasures? This is what the Greek word for treasure is. It's, it's thesauros. Okay, and this is exactly what it means. It means accumulated wealth in the form of money, jewels, or other valuables. Okay, Today, we're going to hone in on verse 21. Like I said, we're going to come back to the other verses uh, pretty consistently in the series, but today we're going to hone in on verse 21, okay? Uh, There's several of us, uh, I think Chad's out of town, but Chad's an engineer. He builds buildings for a living. Several of us are in like construction and different types of uh, contractors and those kinds of things for, 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 for our employment. But one of the things, when you're building a structure, when you're building a building, a house, whatever, like the first And the most important stage is what? Laying a foundation. Absolutely, okay? Because if the foundation is off on that structure, that whole building is is screwed. That whole building is gonna be off if the foundation's off just a little bit, okay? Verse 21 is the foundation of this series. Okay, let's look back at it again. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so let's spend some time here. That verse In that verse, there are two very important truths, okay? I want to jump into the first one. The first one is this. The first very, very important truth that we see out of verse 21 is that money reveals what we worship. Money reveals what we worship. One Christian author puts it this way. He says, quote, money reveals what we worship, that which our hearts trust. Jesus says, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, In other words, if you want to know what you treasure, look at your bank account. The way we use money reveals not only what is important to us, but also our very identity, what we use to feel personally significant, socially connected, and emotionally secure. Listen to this last line. We may not worship money, but we do worship with our money. That last line is huge. We may not worship money, but we do worship with our money. You've heard me talk about worship a ton before. Uh, Worship literally means to ascribe worth. It's from two old English words. It means to ascribe worth, okay? That's why how we use our money is such a clear indicator of what we worship. Because it literally tells us what we ascribe worth to. It's very simple, okay? So the first important truth that verse 21 tells us is that money reveals what we worship. Okay, the second important truth that verse 21 tells us, this is huge. Money has the power to redirect our worship. Not only does it reveal what we worship, but it has the power to redirect our worship. 
Okay, I told you God dropped this, this changing the series on taking a break from John and jumping in the series midweek, right? I did so much reading this week, guys. It was insane. I'm not, a, I'm not a huge reader, but I do like to read. I got another quote for you, okay? Jamie Munson says this. What we do with our money, how we steward God's money, nudges our life toward God or away from God. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Every financial transaction reveals our heart by presenting an opportunity to worship Jesus and serve his kingdom or worship ourselves and serve our own lesser kingdom. All of us, haves and have-nots alike, will use money to serve the priorities of the God we worship. Friends, money has the power to redirect our worship. Um, how many of you guys play fantasy football? Raise your hand high. Don't be ashamed. Okay, like a few of us. Okay, so listen, I can't play fantasy football anymore. Uh, in college, I was addicted to fantasy football. <clears throat> uh, for those of you guys that don't know what fantasy football is, fantasy football is, uh, you know, you have the NFL, the National Football League, and before the season starts, a group of usually, you know, people who are passionate about football, they will come together and they'll say, we're going to play fantasy football. And what they do is they draft players. So you have all the players on all the different teams, right? And then a group of people would go together and they have their own team and they say, I'll take this person off that team. And then so down the line, it's like picking and choosing for like handball, right? Once a player's gone, they're on your virtual team. And what happens is, is that player's stats count for your points. Make sense? Are you tracking with me? Everybody kind of familiar with fantasy football? Okay. I had a problem with fantasy football in college, okay? I was in this league with close friends. It was really competitive. We took it really serious. And every August before football season started, it was like Christmas morning because it was the day of the draft where we'd pick our teams. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you wait all year for fantasy football draft, right? So here's the thing. Like, guys, the reason I say I was addicted to fantasy football is because I would spend hours and hours hours and hours like doing research about this sleeper and this this guy that could potentially come out of nowhere and score a bunch of points and the reason I spent so much time investigating these different players and prepping for the draft and then checking after the season already started checking things throughout the week out you know all this time the reason I did that was because there was something at stake it wasn't just the like I'm the winner thing but all of us we put money on this Okay, so every dude put in 100 bucks, which was a lot when I was in college. It was like all my money. But either way, it was like, okay, we're putting money on the line for this. And we would divvy up the money at the end of the year. You know, first, second, third place would kind of split the pot. You tracking with me? Okay, fantasy football. And here's what would happen. Each year, you'd pick different players. So I would have, you know, a set of players one year, and then maybe the next year I might have one or two of those, but if somebody else picked them, they wouldn't be available, so I'd pick somebody else, Right? And each year, I'd watch the games, and guess who I would root for? This is where you participate. Yes, my players. Okay, you're tracking with me. Great. I would root for my players because they were on my team, regardless of whether or not I hated their real team. Like, I was a Charger fan. If someone's on, like, hey, the Raiders, right? Like, but if he was on my team and he was a Raider, who cares? Like, I'm rooting for this guy. And then let's say that he wasn't on my team last, or he, he was on my team last year, but he wasn't on my team this year. I'm not rooting for that guy anymore. Why? Because my heart follows the money. Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Are you following me with this? 
My heart jumped from player to player based on the money at stake. Money reveals what we worship. And it has the power to redirect our worship, what we ascribe worth to. So, this might be a terrifying question, but what would your bake statement say about what you worship? (laughs) Food? It's a good thing. God wants you to eat, bro. Uh, About 10 years ago, um, right around the time I'm, you know, in college, uh, getting out of college. God, how long has I been out of college now? It's embarrassing. Uh, <clears throat> right about 10 years ago, I went through my bank statements. I was getting ready to get married, and I was like, I need to assess my financial situation. I'm, I'm going to look at what I spend my money on, right? So I go through my bank statements, and I saw something that was like kind of a little shocking. I was like, oh, I, wow, okay. Uh, my ministry background is in music, right? And I spent like a decade leading worship full time. And before that, all I wanted to do was be a rock star. So my background is just in music. And I, it, it's funny. That's, it's okay, Sarah. It's funny. I, it's okay. And so that was just my background, right? <clears throat> and like I said, like about 10 years ago, I go through my bank statements. I'm, I'm assessing my financial situation. Um, and it was right around that time that I discovered that I had GAS disease, um, guitar acquisition syndrome. I had gas. It's a real thing. Uh, And guys, like, I I don't know, I'm sharing this to you because it doesn't make sense, okay? But I had a bunch of guitars, like a lot, okay? And it wasn't just guitars, it was amps and pedals and it's basically just toys for musicians, okay? I had lots of toys. And um, there's a season in my life where I spent thousands and thousands of dollars every year as a poor college student on music. And I remember looking through my bank statements and seeing that something like over 20% of the money that I spent went towards gear. And I was like, oh, I might have a problem here. And it's funny because I could justify it. Like, oh, well, this is how I make a living and this is what my calling is. And, and yeah, that's true. But like, honestly, the vast majority of that stuff wasn't actually necessary. I don't need to bring four or five guitars with me on stage. One or two will work. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and I was, it was crazy. It was like I was looking through my bank statements and it actually helped me. It helped me see how much I was idolizing stuff. How I was using money, it, it helped me see what I was really ascribing worth to, what I was really worshiping. And the cool thing was, was, once I had that information, I was able to use money to redirect my worship away from stuff and back to Jesus. Uh, it was basically around that time, right before I got married to Ebony, um, when I started to really understand something. I started to really understand that nothing actually belongs to me. Guys, that, that everything, the money, the guitars, the gear, my car, my house, everything belongs to God. Uh, Psalm, 20, um, yeah, Psalm 24, verse one, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's pretty clear. First Corinthians four, verse seven, for who sees anything different in you? Listen to this. What do you have that you did not receive? 
If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Let's go Old Testament. Haggai 2, verse 8. (laughs) This one's blunt. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Deuteronomy 8.18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Guys, the truth is nothing belongs to me. It all belongs to God, even the money. Guys, first and foremost, following Jesus with finances means understanding that your role isn't owner. It's manager. It's, it's steward. So let's talk about it. The second point, the freedom of stewardship. So <clears throat> based on kind of what you believe, you will handle finances either as an owner, as in like it belongs to me, or a steward. It belongs to God. One of the two, Right? A steward is someone who manages something that doesn't belong to them. So uh, an owner, an owner says, I earned it, therefore my money is mine and I use it however I please, okay? A steward says, God gave it to me. He enabled me, even, he even made me able to earn it. Therefore my money is his and I use it the way that he says to use it, okay? So here's the thing. If money is his and it's given, then the goal becomes managing what he gives his way. You tracking with me? Stay with me, okay? I know there's a lot of words. If money is his and it's given, then the goal becomes managing what he gives his way, okay? If the money is mine and it's earned, then the goal becomes obtaining more. I I have to earn it. I have to survive, okay? Because to survive as an owner, I have to secure more of it. Friends, that inevitably leads to something extremely dangerous. That inevitably leads to greed. You know, many people think that the opposite of greed is generosity. But it's not. You see, greed is, greed is the excessive desire for more. So the opposite of greed is not generosity. The opposite of greed is contentment. So listen, the steward understands that nothing they have belongs to them. And the result of that, check this out, it's amazing, is gratitude. Oh, you ever feel, you ever feel grateful in your life? It's a wonderful feeling. <laughs> I love it. If I could wake up every day and feel grateful, that would be fantastic. Now the owner, on the other hand, <clears throat> lives a life of discontentment, of striving to acquire more because they got to survive. Are you tracking with this logic? Okay. Guys, can we just be honest about how crappy it is to feel discontent? I'm going to be very just honest and real with you, okay? I'm not a perfect man. I'm not a perfect pastor. I want to follow Jesus with everything inside of me. I want to honor him. I want to serve him. I want to please him but I'm not perfect. I struggle with discontentment. I hate it. I'm ashamed to like share that with you, but I struggle with discontentment. Guys, I'm a church planner. Being a church planner, um, it comes with certain financial realities for me and my family. Namely, it's not the career that you choose if you want to make money, okay? And if I'm honest, like there have been times 
when I've like struggled with being discontent, you know, like I'll compare myself to other people and their financial realities and it'll leave me wanting more. And I feel that way in those moments because I start to believe the lie that I'm an owner and not a steward. And my focus, it shifts away from managing what is God's, what he's, what he's generously given to me, to acquiring more for myself. And instead of enjoying what I've been given with gratitude, gratitude's way better than being discontent, man. And it's in those moments I, I give my heart over to the bondage of greed, the excessive desire for more. The truth is, guys, it's actually not steward or owner. The truth is it's either steward or slave. Because you can't own anything. You guys have heard of John D. Rockefeller, right? Like one of the richest men in the history of the world. Uh, Check this out. During the early 1900s, his net worth was valued at one and a half billion dollars. One and a half billion in the early 1900s. That would have been $341 billion today. That's crazy money, okay? Just to give you context, Bill Gates, he's the richest guy in the world. He's at almost 95 billion. Okay, so John D. Rockefeller was more than three times richer than the richest man in the world today. That's insane, man, $341 billion. And I read this quote recently that said, after Rockefeller died, someone asked his accountant, they said, how much did he leave? And the accountant was like, all of it. Every penny. Because you can't take it with you. You cannot take it with you when you die. The truth is you can't own anything. There's also this other famous Rockefeller quote, right? He says, uh, somebody asked him how much money is enough money? And his answer was, just a little bit more. Friends, when you believe the lie that you're an owner, you're actually a slave. You're a slave, you're in bondage to greed. In bondage to the excessive desire to acquire just a little bit more. But guys, being a steward is different. Being a steward results in a beautiful freedom, friends. Because when you're a steward, the excessive desire to acquire more is gone. Because your needs being met are not based on your ability to earn. Your needs being met are based on God's character. Because he is the true provider, not money. I'm gonna say this again. Track with this idea. This is massive. This changed my life, okay? When you're a steward, the excessive desire to acquire more, greed, is gone because your needs being met are not based on your ability to earn, okay? Your needs being met are based on God's character, on who he is. And guys, God is incredibly kind. He's outrageously generous and he's overwhelmingly loving. Romans 5.8, this is just the roundhouse to the chin, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He shows us his love for us 
and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, this means his love and affection isn't something that we earn. It's something he generously gives to those who don't deserve it like this guy. It's grace, man. It's grace. Everything you have is undeserved. Everything. Everything you have is a result of God's grace for you. You didn't earn anything that God didn't enable you to. It's all a result of grace. It's all a byproduct of who he is and his character and his kindness and his love and his mercy and his faithfulness to you when you're unfaithful to him. My life is a series of unfaithful choices towards God and him maintaining his faithfulness to me over and over and over and over again. Friends, please don't be a slave to money. Please, remember, we, talk, we read this, Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he, will be devo- or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Friends, please do not be a slave to money. Because money's a cruel God. Listen to me, it will never satisfy you. How much money is enough money? Just a little bit more. It will never satisfy you. It will, it will never deliver on its promise, okay? It will always leave you wanting more. But hear me say this. Being a steward of what God gives you results in not just gratitude, but it results in freedom. It results in the freedom of having to acquire more to survive, Let's talk about this last, my last point. Let's talk about what it actually looks like to live like a steward, okay? How to steward. I got another quote for you. Jamie Munson says this, as remedial or boring or unspiritual as it may sound to build a budget, planning is an essential component of faithful stewardship, financial wisdom, and glorifying God with your resources. Building a budget can be an act of worship, The process, listen to this, requires contemplation of all that God has given us and prayerfully considering what he might be calling us to do with it. Friends, being a steward means having a plan for what to do with the money God entrusts to you. It's important, it's wonderful. And remember, how you spend money reveals what you? Absolutely. So building a budget can be an act of worship. There can be joy in building your budget, okay? Now, for Ebony and I, uh, when it comes to following Jesus with our finances, we've made some terrible, awful, misguided mistakes. But the thing, honestly, the thing that's been the single most helpful thing has been budgeting. It's been massive for us. There's all types of, now it's amazing. They have all these like tools you can use online to like, we use one that's literally called, you need a budget, (laughs) Uh, it's been wonderful. It helps us. It gives us like freedom to be like, there's plenty of money in our eat out budget. Let's go eat really good dinner right now. Like it's beautiful. It frees you up instead of like, if I eat dinner today, can I buy Millie's shoes next week? Like the budget eliminates all those questions. It's been so helpful for us, right? Um, have you ever had the gas gauge go out on your car? Um, my first car I'll tell you the story about how I was presented with my first car. Sometimes it's wonderful. I'm a terrible human being. Uh, but either way, my first, my first car was a 1997 white 
Ford Ranger pickup truck with purple tint. It was awesome. It it wasn't purple when we got it. It was like kind of dark. And then over time, the sun just faded it, you know, and turned purple. But guys, I love that car, man. I could put all my gear in the back. Like, I loved it. It was like, I wish I still had it. I would still drive it around. Um, But there was a time when the gas gauge broke. And it was like risky. (laughs) Because, I mean, you, you think about it, like you drive around not knowing how much gas you have. You could any time, right? You can try to keep my, track of the mileage, you know, but it was like, it, you still, you don't know. When the, when the gas gauge broke, it was risky, you know? Now imagine if other gauges went out too. Like imagine if your speedometer went out. Well, like that'd be terrible. Imagine if your temperature gauge went out. You don't know how fast you're going. You don't know when you're going to run out of gas and you don't know if and when your engine's going to blow up. You're in trouble, Right? If all those gauges went out, it would make driving my truck even more risky than it was with just the gas gauge being out. Friends, money without a budget is like a car without its gauges. You're in trouble, man. It's risky, okay? Not only is it poor stewardship, but listen to me, it's really unwise for you. One of the things that has like, helped me in my household really like how to prioritize the items on our budget is I think a lot of times people will, when they, when they assess their, their financial situation, they're like, okay, hey, um, what are wants and what are needs? And I've actually found it to be pretty unhelpful. And the reason I've found that to be pretty unhelpful is because a vast majority of the things fall into the want, car- or, yeah, into the want category. I need like clothes, food, and a roof. Everything else pretty much goes into the want category. So where do you go from there? Especially if you, some of those of you guys that are married, you got to make a decision with another person who might have a different definition of what a want versus a need is. You just get into trouble, okay? So what's been really helpful for us is instead of thinking in terms of wants and needs, thinking in terms of wants and priorities. Okay, there's your like practical piece of wisdom. I'm going to get back to Jesus in just a second, but I said we're going to get practical here. That's been really helpful for us wants and priorities. Because here's the thing, we're stewards, right? At least for my household, that means King Jesus determines what takes priority. It's all his anyway. So there's so much freedom in that. It's been amazing for us. We've we've struggled financially. Again, church planner, right? Uh, I'll get into the details of our story financially some other time, but we've struggled this area. But being a steward has brought us so much freedom because it's not ours. What do you want me to do with it? Okay, instead of having to strive to acquire more. It's been, it's been really helpful. Now, this is super practical. Most of you, I know this is review, but I think it'll be helpful. I feel like I'm supposed to share this. When you think about budgeting, think about like buckets with different, like different buckets with different amounts of money in them, okay? Different amounts of money. So like a typical Christian budget looks something like this. Tithing, okay? Tithe means 10th. That's literally what it means. It's setting aside a portion, in this case, 10%. It's setting aside a portion to give back to God. Listen, I'm going to spend more time teaching on tithing later. Okay, if you have questions or apprehensions or hangups or anything, I strongly encourage you, keep coming. Don't miss the next few weeks, okay? This tends to make people really uncomfortable. It doesn't need to. Trust me, it doesn't need to. Okay, that's tithing. Uh, the next thing that would be on a typical Christian's budget is savings, okay? This would include like emergency savings, uh, savings to invest. That includes retirement, other investments, those kinds of things. Uh, savings to bless, bless others with 
whether that's like a college fund or a marriage fund or whatever, right? Um, Savings to make big purchases. Maybe you want to buy a house or a car or a swimming pool or whatever, right? Big purchases. Um, The next kind of thing that would be on a typical Christian budget would be like immediate expenses. So that's what you need to survive, right? That's your rent, your mortgage, your utilities, your food, your transportation, those kinds of things, right? Another one typically, paying off debt whether it's student loans or it's credit cards or whatever it is, getting rid of debt. Debt is bondage. It's not always sinful, but it is bondage. Like, these are just a few examples, okay? I'm short on time. So listen, for the sake of time, if you want any more, like, help with this, I'm totally down. Herrick's totally down to help you as much as we possibly can when it comes to setting up a budget, okay? Um, Even if it's practical stuff, like what website do you use to do it? What? I'm down to help, okay? So, Keep moving. For the weeks ahead, what we're going to do is we're going to build on the foundation of being stewards and not owners. Okay, we're going to talk about what types of things that God prioritizes. We're going to talk about specific things, friends, that matter to him and how those things should affect a steward's budget. We're going to talk about eternal investments. We're going to talk about giving to the needy. We're talking about spending money on things that make you happy. Okay, believe it or not, like God's not like this killjoy, okay? Like he gets delight in us using the money that he gives us in fun and creative ways for us too. Okay, he's not a killjoy. We're gonna cover a bunch of really helpful things uh, that can help us operate as good stewards of God's resources. But here's the most important thing when it comes to budgeting. Okay, the absolutely most important thing is everything falls apart when you spend more than you have. It's very simple. Everything falls apart when you spend more than you have. And I did a bunch of research this week. Did you know that the leading cause of spending more than you have, do you know what it is? It's believing your money belongs to you. Simple as that. Think about like if, (laughs) this is gonna sound terrible, if the mob came to you and said, here's $100,000, here's what I want you to do with it. If you spent more than they gave you and they came back asking for their money, things are going to get risky, right? So listen to me. Spending more than you have gets you into trouble, okay? And the, reason, the top way of doing that is believing that your money belongs to you, believing that you're an owner. So uh, set that aside for a second. I want to share something really special with you now. This is important. This is special to our crew. If, if you're visiting with us, this is kind of a family moment. Glad you're here. You can kind of peek behind the curtain. But... This is really important to us, okay? Each year, uh, Herrick referenced our family of churches. We belong to a family of churches. Okay, we've seen one church plant in San Diego turn into now, this is the fourth church. It's beautiful, okay? Each year, our family of churches, we spend time praying over what God would have us as a church give towards, okay? Specifically, what gospel initiative God would have us to financially support. Uh, every single October, our family of churches, we collect a special offering, okay? <clears throat> now this offering, it's a beautiful thing because it's an addition to regular tithes, right? It's an offering above and beyond what we give back to God regularly each month. We call this give love. Um, about two years ago now, uh, the family of churches pulled together to raise money as much as they could to plant a church in Temecula. Guys, dozens and dozens and dozens of families 
they sacrificially gave above and beyond their regular giving to see this church plant happen. It's beautiful. It was amazing. And they did it because they've been touched by the grace of Jesus. And his love has transformed their lives and they want other people to experience the same transforming love that they have. Our family of churches came together and raised $80,000 to plant this church. Above and beyond their regular giving to keep their church and their mission and their city keep going. Guys, these are people who understand that their role is not owner. It's steward. And just being straight up again, visitors, sorry, but to this day, they still cover half of our monthly expenses. They're incredibly generous, not begrudgingly. This is like a choice because the grace of Jesus has transformed them in such a way that they want the whole world to know, even people in Temecula. So on October 7th, during our Sunday worship gathering, we are going to collect a very special offering. Like, I'm so pumped on this, guys. For the very first time, Restored Temecula is going to participate and give love. I am thrilled. Uh, I am I, thrilled is an understatement. Like, Ebony and I are already praying, like, babe, how much can we do? Like, what is God going to do with this? How, we're praying, what do you want us to give, God? I'm so excited. So along with our family of churches, right? There's uh, Uptown San Diego, uh, South Bay San Diego, and L.A., we're going to be raising as much money as we can to give away, okay? <clears throat> to give away to see a church planted in Northern Africa. Um, some of you guys have met Kyle and Kaya. Uh, many of you have met Kyle and Kaya. They're actually going to be here next week. They are a wonderful couple, and they've been discerning over the course of the last several years, really feel like God is calling them to Muslims. And they've been going through a ton of training. They're part of the Uptown community. They're members there at the church. And... They've been discerning this call kind of at a personal level, then brought to community, and then have come alongside, and then, and then, um, and then the pastors and the elders at, uh, at Uptown have been walking alongside of them trying to discern this. Is this something that God's doing? Or is this just like a cool desire? Like, what is this? And so uh, they'll be here next week to kind of give you kind of some more information. But um, as a family of churches, we're going to come together, pull our resources together, and send them to Africa next year. Um, earlier this year, I think it was April, it's a blur, I went with them. Uh, the reason I keep saying Africa and I'm not telling you the specific location is because I have a microphone and they're recording this and I don't want to compromise their, their mission uh, because it's not, the, it's not the safest thing in the world, you know? But either way, uh, I got to go with them to kind of scope out a couple different areas and the area that they feel led to go is the exact area I was like, this is where they need to go because the opportunity for the gospel there is spectacular, okay? Something like 0.02% is Christian, so it's out of control anti-Jesus. But what's really cool is you have this generation of staunch Muslims, fundamentalists, the whole thing, right? And their kids are starting to see and come around to how this isn't necessarily the best thing, so they ha- they're, they're definitely, the, the next generation is not anti-Muslim by any means, but they're seeing some of the things that would, that would cause you to be alarmed. Something's not right here. So I tell you that because there is an incredible opportunity, um, especially um, as it funnels into the next generation, 
to plant a church in this city. They'll tell you more about where it is next week. I'll tell you, if you want, I'll talk to you when I have the microphone, I'll tell you where, okay? Um, so super pumped about this. Um, and especially because of the location and because of the opportunity there. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to begin praying now, to begin praying as a steward what God would have you to contribute, to participate in the joy of seeing a new gospel initiative go forward, seeing people who don't know Jesus know Jesus. Guys, the vast majority of people, do you know the environment that they get saved? They get get saved in the environment of the people of God. Okay, there are people that have dreams of Jesus and and salvation happens, but the vast majority of people, they get saved into the family of God through a local church. My mentor, Chris Veen, and one of the things that he said that's always stuck with me is it's, it's more important what you get saved into than what you get saved out of. All sorts of people, a lot of us, our stories are gnarly. Okay? God's saved people out of drug addiction and, and bondage and all sorts of gnarliness. But it's more important the environment you get saved into than it is the environment you get saved out of. And we want to be a people who are consistently following the cloud of God. What are you doing here? This isn't like a quick decision. This is prayer and weighing, God, what are you doing? Because here's the thing, if God's behind something, listen to me, he's unstoppable. I want to see it happen in my time. I want to see it happen. So I want to invite you to begin praying now. We'll talk more about this in the weeks to come. Uh, Band, I'll close with this. You guys can come on up. I know I'm going long. Come on up. Um, Will you stand if you're able? So, there's been practical stuff this morning, more than I probably have ever preached or taught, I should say. But as, as your pastor, as someone who loves you, let me ask you this question, okay? What is your next step in following Jesus? If you're still investigating Jesus, stoked. Keep investigating, okay? <clears throat> Logic and reason is not divorced from faith. Keep thinking, keep asking questions. If you follow Jesus, what's your next step in following Jesus? Maybe it's, maybe it's simple. Maybe it's just like even taking a moment to repent and enjoy God's forgiveness for operating like an owner and not a steward. Maybe it's asking God how you can use money to redirect your worship back to him. God, how can I redirect my worship back to you? Just so you know, that's like a regular thing in my life. Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Maybe it's simple. Maybe it's sitting down and actually planning a budget. Not just any budget, but a budget where God influences the priorities. Maybe it's simply thanking him for his gracious provision. And friends, hear me say this. There's nothing more valuable. There's nothing more precious. There is no greater provision than the blood of Jesus. To cover our sins, there's no greater provision than the grace of God through Jesus to you. And listen to me, it's that grace that he gives us every second, every millisecond of every day. It's that grace that motivates us to trust him 
because he proves that he loves us in that. And he proves that he's good, that he's trustworthy, that he's worth following, especially with finances. I want to be very clear. We're not going through this this, um, series to fluff the church budget. I promise. You can, you, can, you can believe me if you want. We're going through this because we want to follow Jesus with everything we have. Let me pray for us. Give me just a moment. I'm going to listen for a bit, okay, guys? Then I'll pray. I feel like some of us are um, on a short leash. I feel like I just got a picture of a collar with a really short leash. And that's not the way that we were designed to operate. Uh, That's not us walking in our calling. That's not us um, living out our purpose. So Father in heaven, um, I pray Um, I pray for those on a short leash. I pray that they would experience the freedom of being a steward and the joy of being a steward, of receiving the gifts that you have for us with gratitude. And that would just be the the marker of their life, like just that, that peace and that joy and that security of being grateful. Father, you know our goal, you know our desires, that we want to follow Jesus as Lord, not money because we want peace, we want security, and we want joy. We're not wrong for being hungry for those things. And I know that your heart and your desire is to give us those things because I can look to the cross and the cross is the proof of your love and your devotion and, and, and your desire to secure for us an eternity. Your, 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 your desire in that is to give us a peace that no matter what the circumstances of our life, including bank statements, no matter what the circumstances of our life is, we have a peace that can't die because you can't die. So Father, I pray that over this room. I pray that for those of us that are afraid of money, I pray that you would squash that. Help us to see money. It really can be a tremendous blessing because it's from you. You're the giver. The gift always points to the giver, man. The gift always points to the giver. So I pray that we would not ascribe worth to things that aren't worthy of it. We would ascribe worth to the giver in heaven, our heavenly Father. And I pray freedom and joy over these precious people, freedom and joy of being a steward. It starts with me, God. I want you to be the Lord of every single area of my life. Be ruthless in the ways that you overthrow the idols in my heart, God. I cannot be the man I'm called to be. I cannot be the husband, the father, the pastor, the friend if I'm busy worshiping idols. So God, please free me. I thank you for your grace that covers us. I thank you for the joy that's available to us right now, even in this moment of being forgiven and justified. Man, you're kind. I love you. Bless us in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.